Hi, everyone. This is Olga. And we have a special guest today, actually two. Uh, we will have a great conversation. And without further ado, let me introduce my guest. Um, Stefania, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Stefania Passera. I'm a contract designer from Finland, originally from Italy. Uh, I like to wear many hats, so I'm running my own business, which is Passera Design, and at the same time, I'm a professor at the University of Vasa here in Finland and a contract designer in residence at World Commerce and Contracting. Wow, that's a lot of hats. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you must be good at creating time. Paula, uh, please introduce yourself. Hello, everybody, and I'm really delighted to be here, Olga. So I'm Chief Legal Innovation Officer at World CC, so I only have one official hat, but I do have some hats behind that. I'm a 20 years plus qualified lawyer, so I've worked with contracts for 20 plus years. And as a result of that, I've seen sort of all the pain points and contracts, which has made me more passionate about it's time for change. We need to do something to make contracts better. I love it. You know, sometimes it's easier to say what's not broken in contracts than what is, because the answer is you know, a lot of things, maybe not everything, but a lot of things. Um, I actually want to pursue your background further, but before we do that, let's talk about terminology. Um, you know, we, you know, the, the term you use is contract design. How is it different from contract drafting? Is it different? Let, let's just make sure we are on the same page using the same terms. So, okay, let's, well, let's start with what the contract design is not. It's not taking a handful of icons and checking them into your contract to decorate it or make it look pretty. Uh, another thing that is not uh, is about substituting legalese with better legalese. Um, I would say that contract design uh, uh, is different from contract drafting uh, because contract drafting is really focusing only on language, while contract design is a more uh, is a wider umbrella. It uh, includes all the deliberate, strategic decision you can make. So the design decisions you can make to make your contract easier for all stakeholders, more usable. So its language is um, design, let's say, not with a capital D, but with a small d. So the um, visual design or layout design, uh, is it relational contract, is business strategy, it's UX. It's many things all at once, but uh, put into a strategy, communication and business strategy. Yeah, so I would just like to add to that, Olga, and say, I mean, Stefania touched upon it. Stefania knows that my passion is to make contracts more user-centered. I, I feel it's all about the user. I, I think for too long, when, when you think about how life has changed over the last 20 years, the amazing technological advances, uh, and when you look at contracts, actually, I mean, I, I qualified in 1999 and actually contracts haven't changed very much at all in 20 years. And I think, well, why? Uh, they were written for lawyers to be negotiated by lawyers and to be understood by almost no one else. Um, contract design for me is about making those contracts more relatable for all stakeholders, more usable for all stakeholders. And just to make them easier to understand 
to allow for that collaboration, when you think about it, what is the contract about? It's about two or more people deciding to do something. Well, I want those people to be able to pick it up and say, yeah, this tells me what I need to do and how I need to do it. And and for me, that that's what it is the core of contract redesign. Okay, okay, you, you, you've said a few things, I have to follow up. Both of you repeatedly said, easier and usable. Those are not the normal terms we use in contracts. And I want everyone to kind of think about those two terms, easier and usable. Those are really good markings and, and goals to have. You know what, Stefania, I want to follow up. You mentioned this one thing, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit more about strategy, specifically communication strategy that contract could have a communication strategy. At a high level, how do you think about it when you when you look at a contract? How do you think of, of that strategy? And I know you mentioned a few pieces, you know, sort of the, the, the words, the layout, the visuals, but what, what are kind of high level steps in that strategy that, that what you think about when you look at a contract? So I'm a designer, so I am biased and I take a designerly approach. What, what, where I start from is to start a lot of questions about the context and the user. So I try to understand what are the business purposes of the contract and not only uh, the legal perspective in the void. So legal perspective in the void would be let's defend from any possible risk because we have to while looking at the real context is to look at what we are trying to to do so also the opportunities and not only the risk and balancing them and trying to look at the realities of that relationship and transaction so uh, who are the stakeholders who are the users of that document and what are the user tasks so us designers are obsessed with users and user tasks so when we're designing information we want to know what people are using that information, that document for. So if I'm considering my internal users, I want to design the document to be easy to edit, easy to uh, be stored, easy to be monitored. For example, also post-signature, I want it to be easy to take, um, to be actionable. So people can actually implement it. And during, uh, during negotiation, I want that it's understandable for the client and the supplier so, so as to mini uh, minimize the questions and perhaps create a better basis, a better relational basis for that, uh, uh, for, for that relationship, really. Uh, what I love about the collaboration between the two of you is that it is sort of uh, across disciplines, um, you, know, you know, and you have similar themes. Um, you know, the variation of this communication and easier usable is Paula's sort of user centricity. In the context of law, Paula, you know, I, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more because that's not the concept I've been taught in law school. This is yeah. the concept that I've discovered in due school in, at Stanford um, when I after I graduated from law school. Um, how do you think in the context of law, practicing lawyer, you know, you practice for a very long time, how does that, you know, user centricity fit into law that maybe builds on top of what Stefania was talking about as a designer? Yeah, I think that's a very important question, Olga, because um, a lot of people, when they hear me speak, they're saying, okay, well, that all sounds very nice, but at the end of the day, a contract does have to cater for 
if things go wrong between the parties, because let's face it, it happens. So I absolutely get that. And I'm not saying in any shape or form that contracts shouldn't be a balance of risk and assess risk between the parties and what are real risks. But what I think is the focus, and, and Stefania talked about it, the focus on just uh, fencing off any possible risk and when you think of negotiations over time, particularly very high value contracts, it's been sort of tit for tat, both sides ping ponging, you know, protecting their client against protecting their client. And of course, that needs to be part of it. But my, my experience is when both sides take a different starting point, i.e. how can we collaborate here how can we collaborate for a good result for both sides how can we make this contract work from a business perspective you actually start to erode those risks because both parties are working together in a positive understandable more collaborative way so that's why i think contract design really has a part to play alongside the legal aspects of contract and so i'm not saying forget them but they can work alongside each other i'm going to take a step back you know stefania i i understand like like someone like olga or, or paula who are practicing lawyers who who had to feel the pain of contracts daily why they may be driven to to, to solve contracts but i actually am curious about you how um how does somebody like you um you know a designer how do you fall in love with contracts i mean there are many other shiny objects in the world to fall in love with so <laughs> tell me why why contract what what was i'm not, inter I'm not interested i'm not interested in shiny objects i'm interested <laughs> in difficult things i can disassemble and reassemble and try to work make them work better i think that's uh that's probably speaks to the information designer ethos i think we are among the nerdiest about among all the different types of designers so for us it's really about how people think and how things works more than how they look well how things look is a means to an end and that end is really the usability and people getting to use that information. I think it was a fortuitous uh, accident. So, you know, like Steve Jobs used to say that you can only look and connect the dots looking backwards. Uh, so I didn't have a, a great plan, but I, I w had the good luck of meeting um, Helena Hapio, who's a leading figure of the proactive and preventive law movement. And from this uh, lucky encounter and the synergy and the like-mindedness, we started doing research and practice on making contracts more proactive and more user-friendly and more engaging. And here we are still uh, 10 years and counting in our uh, partnership for crime or actually partnership for better justice, better contracts. So it was a stroke of luck, really. I love it. It's a puzzle. I mean, if you want to challenge contracts, we'll give you that. I, I, I see that now. Paula, is there a sort of vivid moment in your career, you know, and I'm sure there are many, um, and probably too many to recount, that sort of inspired you to, to change the course, change your career, and sort of dedicate uh, your professional life to, to kind of changing 
the way the, our relationship was contracts. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was kind of an evolution, to be honest. I spent 13 years at IBM, and during that period, we actually moved. I was uh, leading software lawyer for the UK originally, then I moved into Europe. And during that period, IBM transitioned their business into software as a service, cloud services. And we saw this as an opportunity to really look at the terms and conditions. And of course, I worked with the, the contract uh, drafters for on a worldwide basis uh, on the IBM contract terms for cloud services. And what I really loved about that period where we were, you know, designing the contracts was this sort of iterative process. So every six months, uh, the, we would canvas uh, globally feedback from lawyers about the pain points and the feedback from customers and then feed it back into the contract and make another iteration. And this happened over a period of three years. And I, I don't know if you're aware of the uh, website Term Scout. They launched actually earlier on this year where they're assessing, uh, they're using actually WorldCC's contracting principles uh, and, and ideas of fairness to assess standard contracts in the in the cloud and software as a service space and they've rated IBM terms very highly on the fairness for customers to use them and I think that really got me thinking I really like this idea where you're you know you're aiming for a contract that starts somewhere in the middle rather than that more traditional approach of you know I, I'll go in with my heavy guns you'll come in with yours and then we'll spend two months negotiating to the middle ground, trying to make a contract that actually you can close faster, get to yes faster, and doesn't end up breaking the relationship in the process. Because let's let's face it, we've you know we as lawyers we've spent nine months, twelve months in negotiations on big contracts, and at the end of it, you get a signed contract. But nobody really feels happy. Nobody feels like they've won. So I think I started my journey there. And then I met Tim and Sally at World CC. And it just felt like a kind of a natural transition. I think I was looking to do something other than just negotiate contracts. But I still felt very passionate about them. You know, we're in the middle of the conversation. I want to follow up back on, on, on kind of what, what constitutes uh, poor design and specifically kind of go from the conversation that Stefania started, how to approach this challenge um, a little bit more proactively. Right, so I would say that in most of the cases, poor design is a lack of design. The problem is that when you are not designing, you cannot have lack of design. Uh, it's like saying you cannot have experience. It's always there. It's just that it's bad and it's going to suck and it's not going to be functional. It's going to be extremely dysfunctional. Um, and that's, let's say that that is the, the status quo. Let's say that there's where the uh, large part of the bell curve are. There are some people who have started experimenting. Uh, and of course, when you're seeing this new breed of contracts, the first thing that uh, hits hits you in the face is that they look different. Uh, we are very visual animals as, as humans, so when you see how it looks, you get very fixated on that. So you try to recreate that aura, that approach. But if you're not uh, work, if you're not working with expert designers, you're going to copy how it looks on the outside. So you're going to copy the chassis, and you're not going to copy how it works. 
So you're going to try to adapt this best practice without understanding what the practice is. And, and that is banalizing the, the whole uh, using of pictures uh, in, as part of contract design. Uh, we recently launched a better contract design mark with World CC. Um, and basically, it's a recognition mark for contracts that are going above and beyond what is the current norms for uh, usability and user friendliness. So since we want to be able to, to give this mark, we had to come up with, uh, with a rubric. So what does it mean for us, <laughs> better contract design and visual design or anyway, layout design and this sort of things is only, let's say, one quarter or less of the of the criteria, the other, let's say, the macro areas are design, language, relationship, and usability. So if you come with a contract that has a lot of nice icons, even designed by the best illustrator in the world, and you're bombing the other three aspects, you're not gonna have one of our marks, for example. So you need to, you need to understand all these different aspects to make it yeah. right. Very interesting. So I like how, uh, you know, the lack of design, probably number one uh, problem in design, uh, sort of unintentional acts of contracting that, that, you know, we do and hope for the best. And then you can't just sort of, the second thing you mentioned is putting pictures. And I want to return to that thought, but I do want to talk a little bit more, Paul, if you have anything to add about sort of um, uh, poor design. And, and Stefania, it's, it's, you know, I like how you started the conversation. It's more than a pretty picture, right? We have to kind of think through what the goals are um, and you can't just um, emulate result. There's a process of getting there and it's specific to you. Uh, Paula, in your experience in, in putting this information on World CC for folks to use, what other sort of acts of poor, um, you know, for a poor contract design have you seen? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I have, to, I mean, it's funny now that I've entered the sphere of sort of good contract design, when I see a contract that is a wall of text, and believe me, from some very large companies uh, that we were collaborating with on, on training, etc. I have seen some terms and conditions where, you know, one document refers to the next, to then I think there were five iterations of documents within the document. I have to literally, and you'll identify with this, Olga, putting the cold, and any lawyer on this call, putting the cold towel over your head, trying to read a contract and to understand it. I. I there's another compelling reason I've recently been looking at some research for the fact that the time for contract redesign is now. Our attention spans have changed massively over the last 25 years. So with the rise of the internet, smartphones, immediate accessibility, our attention spans have reduced considerably. So we're no longer really able to sit and concentrate the average person I'm speaking about. I'm sure there are some out there who can for the length of time that we used to. We want to assimilate information quickly. So I'd even say that, you know, in comparison to 20 years ago, where that wall of text might have gained, you know, had some traction and you might have had the odd business people person read it. Even lawyers want to do that anymore they want to be able to quickly to get to the information they need particularly actually if you talk about even contracts when they go wrong you know we we had um you know the pandemic 
we know that organizations were scrambling to understand what the implications of the pandemic were when they couldn't supply, when they couldn't receive goods, etc. And we also yeah. know from the data we've uh, we've um, researched in WorldCC that a lot of organizations really, it was very hard for them to find what was in their contract that they needed to focus on. So better contract design can help with all of that. Let's get to the information we need quicker and smarter. Yeah, you know, to be completely honest with you, my, you know, I went to law school a little over 15 years ago, and I remember distinctly, you know, I, um, I, 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 I process information visually, um, and I remember thinking that's a lot of text, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't know about you guys, but my mother used to read me picture books when I was growing up. What kind of childhood you had that you now are staring yeah. at walls of text? Um, but you know, um, you're right. The technology really kind of um, expedited this and the patience of dealing with wall of text is kind of closer to where I've been 15 years ago <laughs> because I have a preference for visual for visual representation of the world. Um, let's let's talk about pictures because you know and, and, and Stefania sort of alluded that pictures are important. They are kind of a big chunk of it uh, visually processing something quickly Paul alluded is 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 something that we we increasingly crave. Yet it's not, it's sort of everything and it's not everything. So let's talk about pictures and, and visuals and how they can be helpful, how we can think about them, how we can kind of gain better what I call visual IQ uh, when it comes to contracting. So I'll try to explain it with a minimum of design <laughs> jargon. If I get jargon, it just stop me here <laughs> for any clarification. So. Uh, there are a couple of things that the visuals can do. Um, so the first is that visuals can be used as explanations. So you have a concept that is particularly hard and you don't manage to crack it open completely with the, uh, with the words. So you can add things like diagrams. Let's, for example, in contracts, what we are using all the time are timelines, flowcharts, for example, things that uh, explain a complex relationship and map them out. Uh, basically, they give you a ready-made mental model of how something works. So that, together with, uh, with the text, uh, depending on your learning style, depending on your preference, you can look at one and the other to generate meaning. The second way in which visuals work is at signposts. Uh, so think of the wall of text. You don't know where stuff is. You don't know what's important. You don't know what's salient or not. You don't know what the themes are. For example, you can use things like icons or dividers to give salient or highlights to give salience and uh, to certain passages. So they act as visual cues. They attract and retain attentions, and they help you creating this uh, visual hierarchy that should mirror the logical hierarchy of contents in your document. And last but not least is a way to structure the page, to structure the content, so um, to help uh, guiding the eyes that are connected to our brain to process that information. So it depends on the layout, is about having optimal line length and uh, a font that is readable and not making it all squished that you cannot even read it because that actually stops our mental fluency too. Uh, we think is not consequential, but it is. Uh, it's stuff about like working with typography or dividing things and creating a visual hierarchy. 
And uh, all of this, of course, uh, goes with the other parts. Of course, if you have something that looks good, but your text is gibberish, uh, the net effect is going to be lower. Or if you have good pictures and good text, but put in a haphazard way, like structured badly, uh, then you're still going to have uh, usability problems. You really have to get them all right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, and, and if I could just jump in there, Olga, like a, a lot of times when we've talked about uh, contract design and on some of our some of the webinars we've done, etc., people have sort of said sometimes there's too much of a focus on, on the pictures, and and people think that contract design is out there. It's, it's about putting pictures in instead of text and people worry about that and how a course going to interpret it, etc. I mean, generally, our, from the research we've done, courts are fine with pictures, providing they're clarifying what is supposed to be happening. We're not talking about, you know, although there are, Rob DeRoy does fantastic comic contracts and there is a place for comic contracts instead of text, particularly when you're dealing with consumers who are illiterate, et cetera. And let, let's face it, there, there are, you know, wide portions of, of the world that they are obliged to enter into contracts or employment contracts and they might not be able to read them. But, but the, the pictures are exactly as Stefania talked about, to help you understand the context. So we're not looking about putting them in there instead of text, but really to help elaborate on actually what's happening. And we all know that ambiguity often exists within the, everybody can interpret what the written word in a different way. And I think pictures can be used to just reinforce what we're trying to say. And can I add a couple of things? If we zoom out and we look at the, not at the contract document per se, but at the process of creating documents. So at the design process, the design with the capital D, the process. Um, you need visual thinking and not only linear thinking to be, I would say, a better drafter, a better lawyer. Uh, there is this teacher, <laughs> close, a professor close to where you live, Olga, because he's a Stanford professor, Jay Mitchell. He has written this fantastic book called uh, Picturing a Corporate uh, Transaction. And he teaches uh, in his, uh, in his uh, contract drafting and corporate law clinics to, to, to law students, how you diagram things, because it says if you're going to be able to think visually and map out your logic on paper, you're going to be a better transactional lawyer because you're going to have an extra tool for clear thinking and to audit your own thinking. So that, that's quite important. If you still want to, to stick to a traditional contract, well, be your choice, but at least use pictures as part of your thing. So visual thinking rather than pictures, visual thinking as part of your process. That's very yeah. important. Yeah, we, we're coming to the end. So I have a couple of questions before I ask you to, to give takeaways to folks, one or two, but um, this, this, you know, I, I am with you that pictures, whether they're actually used in the final product can be very clarifying, uh, you know, diagramming kind of, putting steps down, kind of reducing to simplicity, um, and uh, as opposed to starting with a wall of text, can really give you a lot of clarity. Um, and clarity of thinking translates to, even if you write 
walls of text to better walls of text. <laughs> um, and most certainly that positions you well for a better sort of visual design. But what I also find is that um, most folks who go through law school, they, their left brain is much more developed than their right brain. Law school doesn't tend to do anything about that. So mo many folks are very intelligent in verbally speaking and main lack intelligence, um, visual intelligence, I call it visual IQ. And we kind of seen this in other areas like emotional IQ um, and, and, and other, other areas. So, and, and, and I find this very fascinating. I think that's one of the reasons why we sort of question and move shy away is because we, we don't have vocabulary to have decent conversations, to ask questions, to work with designers. Uh, it, it, it is, you know, Greek to us, <laughs> you know, quite literally uh, to many of us. Um, you know, um, I've noticed it as, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I visual, I, I've learned visual language before I learned English. So I, mm -hmm. um, so I come from a, a visual person first, but that's not an average American lawyer for sure. Um, how do you, if you want to be more uh, higher visual IQ as a lawyer practicing in Europe and the United States and in Latin America and whatever, how do you, how do you get there? Like, what are the steps you would recommend to take? Um, and before, I mean, Stefania might take that, but just one thing I want to say before, we do have a number of clients who come to us and say, we want the contract to be easier to navigate, more visual, but we don't want icons or we don't want any pictures. We're very traditional. And that's fine as well. And actually, we do redesign contracts that are visually much easier to navigate, communicate better with all stakeholders, but don't have one diagram or one picture in it. So it is important in the context of contracts to, to not only think of design and visual as meaning pictures. It's also to do with, as, as Stefania mentioned, the layout, the size of the typeface, how it's presented, how you can navigate the contract, etc. So on, on that context, I'll hand over to you, Stefania, but I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, I think it's about uh, perhaps um, unlearning certain mental habits or uh, rediscovering uh, our visual intelligence like you can uh, uh, the, the important point is that when you are using visuals to communicate the important is not the visual the stress should not be on visual the stress should be on communication so actually uh, a master communicator is a master of the ugly drawing of the ugly sketch <laughs> you, sh you shouldn't really create pixel perfect anything. You should just become very good, I would say, with stick figures and arrows and uh, uh, conceptual conceptual sketching. There are a lot of books that can help you in this. Uh, for example, there's Visual Meetings by David Sibbett. There's uh, the book I mentioned before by Jay Mitchell, Picturing Corporate Practice. I think that's very eye-opening for lawyers. If you're interested in better typography, there is Typography for Lawyers by James Buttrick. Uh, there is a book on sketching, how, how is her name? Like Williamine Brandt that is called Visual Thinking. So it's really about um, teaching the basics of how you can use very, very simple signs 
to be very, very communicative and help you make sense with others. So I would start from there. I wouldn't start from design. I would start from uh, visual thinking and sketching. Yeah, I, th those are great. Those are great books and great advice. Thank you. Thank you, Stefania. What is one or two things you recommend that practitioners of law can do today to set them on the path of discovering ways to start in the middle, to to be better communicators, to really serve the needs of the business better? If there's one word I think about when I think about drafting a contract, or I think about empathy. Empathize with your readers. At the end of the day, uh, contracts, yes, we have to fence off risk. But if nobody understands them and nobody can interact with them, they failed in their primary purpose, and that is to do something. You enter into a contract, two parties to do something. Empathize with who's going to use it. And I think I remember years ago, actually, while I was at IBM, doing a course with um, the general European General Council at the time. And it was about communicating and memos and contracts and emails. And it really resonated. He was, he was able to boil down pages and pages of information into a couple of paragraphs, the, the must-knows, the need-to-knows. And I actually think we can be bold and brave and do that with contracts. So think about who's using them, what they need to know, what needs to be there. Okay, there are risk elements there, but empathize. Empathy is such a big, big word in design um, and definitely a great place to start. Stefania, what, what is your recommendation for, um, for saying house lawyer like myself? I'm going to be brutally pragmatic and suggest two things. First, uh, just Google World CC uh, Contra Design Pattern Library and look uh, for inspiration, look at all the techniques and real life examples we've been collecting and tagging and explaining and demystifying now for a couple of years. Second, uh, you need to experiment. Uh, experimentation is, um, is scary. I know that. So what, what can help you is finding a safe sandbox. So a place where you can put your toes in the water uh, without getting too afraid. And on the 17th of November, we are going to organize our Better Country Design Workshop. It's just a couple of hours. Uh, we are organizing it twice because we want uh, both uh, our uh, Americans and uh, European and down under and Asian friends to be able to, to join. So I would encourage you to, to just get your ticket for that event. We're going to explain the better contract design framework, which is very applicable. We're going to demystify all these fantastic things you can do to improve your contracts. So if you want to develop the vocabulary and get a, a panorama view of what you can do, just join us on the 17th. Yeah, because ultimately what we want to do at World CC is we want to empower others to do it. We love doing the projects, but we couldn't possibly <laughs> amend everybody's contract. We want everybody to be able to do it, to have that design thinking when they sit down to start drafting in the first place. We are trying to change the world one contract at a time, but it, it's taking a little bit too much time. So you guys need to roll up your arm, your, your, your sleeves too. Let's hey, time for this to snowball. No, thank you so much, both of you. Um, very great conversation. 
Uh, thank you for joining me. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and learned so much. So thank you so much. And for those listeners, I, you know, for me, the inspiring words of one empathy and two, find yourself a sandbox. So go ahead and find yourself a sandbox. You need a place to play. Uh, World CC offers one place to do it. There are probably others. So definitely look for sandbox and definitely emphasize those are great places to start. Again, thank you for being active and nominating folks for me to speak to um, in the notes to my legal self. I recently launched um, the uh, newsletter that goes with it. And I still look forward to the nominations like Stefania and Paula to join me. I specifically look for in-house leaders who are doing exciting, innovative things that they care deeply about, but also in their not just professional lives, personal lives. Um, community lives because we know that in-house leaders are well-rounded and, and they're not just lawyers, they're humans first. Uh, so thank you so much for joining in, for tuning in. Bye everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.